Today's episode is brought to you by The Rock Shop here in Auckland and Rode Microphones who've supplied this awesome Rodecaster Pro for the show. Thanks, Rock Shop. Kia and welcome to episode four of Unsung NZ. I'm your host, Cristiano Colano, and today's guest, he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's born and bred here, but this man, here's a clue, has touched on so much New Zealand music, especially of the sort of electronic, dubby, sort of the indie stuff that we like here. Um, so, he's been involved with Deep Grooves, Straw People, Unitone Hi-Fi, you know, actually just so much. If it's come out of Auckland and it's got something electric in it, good chance he's involved. Anyway, today's guest is Joost Langveld. He is just another important player. Really glad to get him here and let's do it. Episode four, Joost Langveld. Good morning, sir. It's working. I have got a really good first question because you're one of the contenders. Because you know, you're used Langfeld here. But that's how you said it in New Zealand. I and mean, what's that name? How do you say it properly first? Well, yeah, totally. And I think I think I think we I think we share a, a common curse: the the mispronounced name. Uh, yeah, all the time. Uh, so yeah, I was I was born in Holland, and uh, my name is pronounced Joost, like toast with a Y. Oh, yeah. um, and then and then my last name is Langeveld or Langveld, if you prefer. That's okay. Um, so yeah, but yeah. So born in Holland, how long did you stay there? Uh, I was uh, I was fifteen when I uh, when I arrived in New Zealand with uh, with my mum and my brother and my stepfather, wow. and uh, yeah. So it was uh, it was a crazy time. Older brothers, younger brother? No, younger one. Um, yeah, my uh, my bro- I've got one brother who's five years five years my junior. Oh, that's quite a simple gap with the cute uh, one and the older yeah. one, the one who can read and the other <laughs> one who's cute. That's what happened. Yeah, the, 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 that's right. The pimply one and the uh, and, and, and the cute one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So pimply brings us to New Zealand, obviously. <laughs> Good, nice <Absolutely>. segue. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what was what drove the move? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, sort of many, many many long stories, really. I mean, there's 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 a there's a very. Um, there was a big wave of migration from Holland to New Zealand in the fifties, which you know, obviously I'm not that old and don't go that far back. In good good Christian Dutch form, my mum was one of the youngest of a family of twelve. Her eldest her eldest two brothers had come to New Zealand in the mid fifties, uh, so there was a there was a, there was a family connection here. And actually, as it worked out, half half her siblings ended up living in New Zealand at one point or another. So, um, wow. Um, this quite I've got I've got quite a few nieces and nephews and cousins and, and all that kind of stuff um, here. Even wow! Though. Well, that's kind of yep. lucky because I'm, um, I'm, I'm a sort of a f- f- first. Uh, yep. Uh, even though I'm, I'm I'm an immigrant in in that sense, which is kind of kind of an interesting interesting space. Well, uh, and quite a late arriver. You know, I had you know I knew you had an accent, but it's like 15 is quite. That's a chunk of. Um, that's a bit to split halfway down when you know, like yeah, man. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's it's a very, um, it's an awful, it's an awful age to move anywhere or to kind of 
move uh, yeah completely to the other side of the world different language yeah you name it all yeah everything world's upside down mm. uh, it took me quite a, it, t- it took me a little bit of time to adjust um and really it's 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 kind of what got me into music in, in a weird way because yeah my english wasn't great and um well that was going to be my next question because it felt like a natural yeah. and um a little bit of frustration because the first bit i oh, actually do you know what i don't never heard compulsory allies <laughs> Never heard. I don't, so I can't even. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I yeah. didn't research I, that far no. into it, but you know, like, is it a punk band? What's compulsory yeah, allies? Well, yeah, it, it was. I mean, compulsory allies. It's sort of set right in between because we're talking. Gosh, what the eighty one at that stage, and and it was sort of right at that sort of post punk, root right. boy, ska kind of crossover kind of thing, and that was really what we were as well. There is actually one recording which uh, I won't, I won't, refer, yeah, I won't direct you to because it's awful. But um, yeah, we, we yeah, the very first studio experience was with that with that with that band. The interesting thing with that band was it uh, it did include um, Paul Cassidy who moved on to um, Straw People, and who I've collaborated collaborated with yeah in different. And Greg Johnson, of course. And, and Greg Johnson as well. So, yeah, totally. That's what I'm saying. The, the jump from when you said 15, it's like, man, you only look about 17 when you're with two key musicians in the Auckland scene in your first band. That's and, pretty... and that's because I was. <laughs> and so how much music yeah. had you been doing in Holland and stuff? How musical were you? Uh, absolutely, uh, you know what? Absolutely none. And that's kind of what I mean. And I've kind of thought about this yeah, since then quite a lot. It's like music kind of became my uh, – uh, became my – my my person in, in in a way, so I kind of really dove. dove an opportunity arose, um, and and I dove in deep, and it became kind of my my shield, my my way of language of talking to people without having to use my very limited English. Because wow. yeah, I really was. I really kind of felt it acutely as a fifteen year old. Um, yeah, with language, the first thing you do and learn is read, and I really yeah, literally, I would. I sat next to this guy who had nice big handwriting. I would copy everything he wrote and then I'd go home with a dictionary and translate. That was my kind of routine for essentially the first six months of my schooling. Holy shit, that's horrible. And then and, 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 and then really and, and the second thing you kinda of learn is how to how to listen and hear things. And then the third thing is how to express yourself. And that that last one really takes a long time. Um, so yep, there were definitely phases where I could hear people talking about me and kind of ingest and yeah. Whatever. Yeah, and also kids have got slang and stuff at that age too. So there's all that other Abs- layer. Ab- absolutely. So like, uh, so music in a way became kind of my. Hey, I'm actually quite cool, and I can do this. Yeah, I don't have to. I don't have to talk to you, but I can. I can show you that I can play something, or I can. I can hang out with some cool kids, and that's that's really kind of um, was a really big part of why I got into music. Was compulsory alloys formed at school, or what, what? Was that the first? Is that? It was a bit of a blend. Uh, uh, so it, uh, it wasn't a school band, but it was an after school band, if that makes sense. Yeah. School age though, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. At that stage, you still had to be twenty. Was it twenty or twenty-one? I can't even remember. Twenty, twenty to go drink in a pub and stuff like that. So like we were very much underage, and um, so the gigs and stuff we were doing, there were some sneaky Reva Room Rumba Bar kind of right things. Uh, but most of it was kind of uh, yeah, your church halls, school halls, local um, local parties, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, cool. But we, we, but the thing, the thing about it, we, we used to gig a lot. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we would gig a couple of times a month, two, three, four times a month, uh, and actually got. We didn't get good, but what you did learn from that was, yeah, what it means to kind of be in a band and and yeah, all that kind of shit. 
Well, like I've I've already said once that the musical relationships my are the only massive relationships out of my family. <laughs> like the other other important one, you get tight with yeah. people. It's, that's why I kind of enjoy my one two relationship with another producer because I actually bond with that person. I, I, I totally get that. I mean, they, they can't, they, they, and all these relationships, and yeah, like you and you, you know for yourself as well. I mean, you kind of some some last and some don't last for no other reason than yeah, you kind of just run out of fizz sometimes. Uh, but they they they're deep relationships. They kind of like they kind of like marry. You kind of married to these people in a, in a way, and um, or yeah, it's a slightly different level, but it's as intense sometimes. And definitely when you're working together, I mean, when you're exposing yourself um, mm. creatively. Uh, that really opens up a lot of shit that can be can be pounced upon or, or, yeah. or, or explored or, or developed or yeah, it just, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I don't have a clear jump to NRA all the timing or years. Didn't well, actually, of. it's quite funny because you, you're talking about that time kind of leap as well. And compulsory allies turned into another band with a very similar lineup. There were a few changes that we kind of kind of went um, slightly. Um, white white boy soul kind of mm-hmm. tangent for a little bit, yeah. and that's kind of when I started listening to a lot more music and kind of get a little better and kind of go well. These kind of riffs I've been playing, they kind of scales anyway, and kind of so yeah, yeah. I started putting the dots together as as a, a from a musical point of view because before that I was yeah, one chord punk songs and yeah. The ba- the way the bass is set up. You go, oh, these are fifths, and hang on, it's quite a nice way to learn things. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. You can kind of see the patterns, yeah, and, and as long as you, f- you can make your fingers do them, you can kind of get there, and and it's and it's and it's okay. But uh, sort of in '85, we kind of sort of just drifted apart. Everything sort of tied in, but um, yeah, some of us went to university, some didn't. It was a bit of work. People kind of yeah mm. got into relationships. Yeah, you just we just grew up. We grew were up a bit, 20, yeah. 21 years old, uh, and I moved to Sydney for I lived in Sydney for a year, and um, really actually I didn't touch an instrument the whole time I was in Australia so that was kind of um, I could have easily been doing something else yeah I, I, I could have been lost the music if, if yeah in a way or I, I might have lost my way in, in a sense the, the one thing I did really what? kind of what, enjoy what happened while, in Sydney what sorry uh well I mean I mean I was I, I was in a relationship at the time and really um I kind of for me, it was a a, a, a sort of um, a next level kind of personal development course, if that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of. Well, that's that age, I think so. Yeah, totally. That I remember that twenty one year old relationship being the first big one too. That sort of that age. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, mm. totally. And 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 that was a fairly tumultuous one. That came, went. There was a, a, a quite a few sort of on and offs and yeah, all sorts of stuff. And the case came with yeah a lot of learning about me and in, mm. in, in that sense. Yes. But also, I mean, um, and I, I don't know if you uh, we. I lived with a couple of mates, and we lived in Kings Cross. We lived in a, in basically a disused office, right behind the Coke sign. So that, that's kind of you have to give you give a little context. And I worked on, uh, and basically my 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 routine was working in terms of, and I kind of because of my family background, um, I'm okay at cooking food. So like I kind of yep. eked out a bit of a living as a, a pseudo chef in Sydney. And so my my I worked in hospo. Crazy hours, a lot of late nights in the cross, mm. um, and so and really sort of for me musically that time was I mean apart from having a lot lots of lots of good times so I partied a lot as well so mm. that kind of um, sometimes uh, short but, order cook means that oh my god they like speed you know there's a one hundred percent and and I was definitely I was definitely in that lane and I worked in some pretty crazy places like some yeah 
yeah strip places that also serve food but really yeah there was, mm. a, it, was, it, was it was it was an interesting time but also musically and you know, i kind of it was a, it was yeah another level up from auckland at that time and yeah you had crazy places like the united nations club which was this flamboyant gay club disco basically hanger from disco era mm. but then you also had these clubs in, in the cross and the, they basically were playing i, I guess now you would call it that no wave post disco kind of stuff, and I really started developing a taste for that more electronic dance music. I'd come from the punk yeah, kind yeah. of thing, yeah, and, and moved through. So musically, I really developed in that sense. Went to there was a, a great jazz bar in town as well, and seeing amazing jazz musicians play. Go, fuck, this is actually really quite amazing. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So it kind of, it was a good learning experience. Cool. Um, and and then kind of after after Australia, um, I spent a bit of time sort of traveling through Asia and kind of hanging out with some mates and yeah, basically extending my uh, my hedonistic life uh, for another few months. And it ended up back in Holland. And I was doing a bit of labouring work, and purely by chance, I ended up working on a, on a building site. That it was an addition being built onto a small recording studio. That's like a suburban kind of recording studio. Yeah. And um, I I ended up talking to yeah the guy that owned it and chit chatting about music and this and that. And he said, "Ah, oh, you should be doing this. Why don't you come and hang out in the studio?" So I, I just ended up hanging out with this guy, and he was he was very he was super kind to me, and um, he'd been quite well known in Europe and Holland uh, in the seventies. Yeah, sort of. Prog rock, prog rock synth player, basically. Oh, sort of, cool. He was that kind of guy. So I ended up working with him. Um, he worked for a, a company called PPG, which ended up becoming yes. Waldorf. Wow. Um, out of Germany, and PP, and he was the guy that would go around all the music fairs and places in Europe and demo show it. off the, mm. the, 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 the 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 PPG two point three at that time or the two point two whatever it was, and and these machines were like twenty five grand. Mm. 30, 30k or something they were they were expensive pieces of hardware they'll be in the show notes that one sorry <laughs> yeah 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 and and he kind of introduced me to the very first sequencing packages so like he kind of um he gave me to yeah he, he sent me free on a, on an atari 520 and and dr t dr t kcs was the very first sequencing yes. package that i ever saw mm. so that was in 1986 um so reasonably early on i guess um it sort of ended up that I would sometimes you know, travel with him to music fairs and plug in the MIDI of right. the PPG. So and then yeah, so basically showing off the the, the, mul- the multiness of the PPG through 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 sequencing and stuff like that. Um, and I, I came back in '88 to New Zealand, and um, that was sort of the period of Nemesis Dub Systems NRA, and 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 really the beginning of the ability or the affordability of sequencing samplers since became more affordable. Yeah, prior to that, tape-based music was still very expensive. And I kind of think a lot about my musical evolution in terms of how that is in sync with the digital or with the the technical evolution as well. So we're really making that move from pre-MIDI, tape-based making music to MIDI, sampler-based music to DAW music. That's mm. been uh, that's been an ongoing kind of thing. So technology's played a big part in, in why I ended up doing and why I still do what I do. Right, yeah. why you were called Mr. Trigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I sort of, I can totally feel for that because um, I, I, w- I was a synth nerd from the start, so I just go from disco to boogie and then, you know, yeah. I get hip-hop, then I get sampled hip-hop, you know, I guess I just felt I had the most pure, beautiful move from 
disco bands to you know laptop uh, pop songs in real time. That's why I've called it the luckiest generation on earth. I just watched all that technology arrive, and I was the one in love with the tech. So I've followed the tech. I went from MIDI sync. CV and gate, I mean, to, to MIDI. To- I, 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 th- I, think, I think the parallels between you, you and I are fully, because you know, yeah, I call it a sequence of fortunate events <laughs> because that's really how I, how I view it. The fact that the timing of me being in Holland and kind of being introduced to sequencing package, a sequencing package led me on to doing other things. And then, and then really the kind of the, uh, the technical evolution that paired with that and the affordability, because really yeah, it's the transition of needing big studios, expensive hourly rates to be able to do things in a bedroom to now actually going almost a full 360 and want to go back into studios again. I mean, that's all been part of their journey. Yeah, and when you're not as a skilled musician like ourselves, you know, you want that time to quietly um, (laughs) fumble. I'm I'm so so with you on that. It's it's (laughs) absolutely true. I'm glad that my um, research wasn't full of holes. You disappeared for a few years there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've, I've had a habit of disappearing along the lines a few oh, times. Well, um, man, yeah. tell me about it. Nemesis Dubs, Eddie Chambers came through those bands with you? Is that NRA? And- yeah, no, I've, I've, so when I came back in 88, my, my very first flatmate was, um, um, was, was a woman called Dominic Nola, and she was a program director at BFM and, yeah, so, and, 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 still, and still a good mate of mine to date. I moved into uh, her house that she as a flatmate and... Um, and the room I took over was Eddie's room. So Eddie moved out, I moved in. We kind of connected at the door and went, hey, you're a cool dude, let's do something. And Eddie, at that point in time, was making ads at BFM. So he was he had access to the tiny little oh, studio, yes. which it was at the time, which uh, which was really three metres square. And we kind of connected, yeah, we kind of yeah, got on and... He had a, a Jupiter Six, which was uh, an amazing uh, Roland oh. Jupiter Six at the mm. time, and uh, we borrowed the UK. Yeah, we had a friend who had a nine oh nine, so uh, we would uh, sort of hide away in the weekends at the BFM studio and tutu away, and yeah, cool, make some music and, and stuff like that. Use the A track, the A track tape. It was still, yeah, still, we still, we, we were still singing tape. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, radioactive for me. We used to sneak into the, I had yeah. the radioactive keys. There's a little eight track Atari. Yeah. Do some punk bands. <laughs> Absolutely right. Terrible. So yeah, so so yeah, so and that basically, and also because the the proximity to BFM meant that uh, we would sometimes make a song that was funny or um, or kind of half cool, and then uh, we would play to Dominic, who was the program director. She goes, "Oh, that's cool. Let's put it on playlist." And it sort of became this kind of journey of kind of doing cool little things. And that was kind of the beginning of Nemesis Dub Systems. Um, so that was kind of a studio-based kind of project. And then slowly we yeah we started doing some some live gigs which were kind of interesting experiences because at that point we were literally dragging the entire studio set up yeah onto stage like atari synths drum machines yeah it was quite a rigmarole and i do remember we we played at this place in um new plymouth one time and it was quite a setup you know that's uh, um yeah and for some weird reason we kept popping the fuse so yeah. we yeah there's an there's an audience yeah every time i have to restart and Getting the floppies out to yeah, oh, put yep. all the samples back, samples yep. back into the sampler. Yeah, it's mm. in the end. Yeah, I think the third time we said, "Hey, we're buying everybody, everyone a drink at the bar. Let's go and have a drink." And we we, we give up on this, and yeah, so it was one of those kind of uh, disastrous <sighs> um, uh, gigs. That yeah, yeah. Uh, I've done I've done a puppet show to hide behind the equipment while um, the sounds of some died or something like that. So we just sort of yeah, man, hide behind <laughs> and do a puppet show. 
Hey, um, so again, I'm missing some. So that's your, how you snuck into BFM there. That's all good. Actually, and actually, because my, my, mm. my connection with BFM goes back a slightly earlier than that, because in '85, before I before I left, um, um, Mark Tierney from Straw People, so Paul Cassidy, Mark Tierney. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, he 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 was in the same position as Eddie. He was making ads, and actually, I used to hang up there. So the very first seeds of straw people uh, which became the first album that came out on pagan and the name of the album alludes me but it's got mm. some cool really cool tracks on it and the notes um yeah so uh, uh i um i was around for the for the for the seeding of that but not for the execution if that makes sense so like i was kind of yeah, there yeah, early yeah. on and then and, and then 85 i left and, and and then they produced that awesome album it's still yeah. one of uh, still a, cla- a classy, a classy um, start into it is. What, what's um, Mark Tierney doing? You know? Well, Mark, Mark lives in LA, and he is a director, photographer, and has actually recently I've, um, um, he's been releasing a few bits of music, some remixes for people and stuff like that. So yeah, he's he's still he's still very active in a and 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 a, and a creative human. Yeah, well, he's um, always been very polished. Yeah. Eh? Like it is like his. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he's 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 always had that really. Um, um, he's always been a great finisher. Yeah, some yeah. people are really good starters, and I, I I put myself in that category. I, I can start many ideas, but he's one of those guys yeah. who can actually, yeah. yeah, shine it up and make and make it all work and arrange it and cut it so it's three and a half minutes of quality as opposed to six minutes of trouble <laughs> i love it so how do you start getting into production stuff around about the same time because i kind of it was a busy time 88 89 90 that that period i was i was still playing with greg because he was doing a solo kind of thing and um so i would work with him and uh, uh people like nigel russell who'd been car crash set mm. and uh, trevor ricky from pagan records they were kind of that was kind of greg's Studio and and and, and yeah, occasional live band. So I, I played I played with with him. I was doing the the, the Nemesis project with Eddie, and then also um, a, another friend of mine had introduced me to the NRA boys. And really, that was kind of one of those crazy fortunate events as well, where my friend Cat uh, said to me, "Hey, um, you should come meet these guys. There's a party on. Bring your bass." <laughs> Yeah, one of those, one of those ones, <laughs> yeah. and and, and 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 this 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 was nineteen eighty nine and eighty nine. Uh, yeah, there's, there was a summer of love in in, in in Europe, but there was a uh, there was a similar vibe going on over here. It was just kind of slightly different, mm. but there was a supply. All I could say there was a supply of um, um, marital aid supplements that were, were flow <laughs> that, that, that 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 arrived from from the US and. Explicit is already ticked on my Apple box. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> oh, good, excellent. Basically, ba- 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 basically, these 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 were uh, um, um, pharmaceutical ecstasy, basically. Yeah, that were used wow. in, in, in relationship uh, relationship counselling in, in in the US, and 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 they were actually phenomenal. Four hours on, and then clear clear as a bell afterwards. It was one of those ones. Anyway, that was uh, the party was that kind of party, and wow. um, yep. the jam the jam was one of those kind of jams, and. I remember um, the next day, looking at my fingers, go. I really played hard because I've got blisters and blood all over my hands. Uh, and uh, and and they said, "Hey, that was fun. Let's you want to join the band." So that was kind of um, how uh, um, that came came about. And NRA was a very interesting space. Yeah, we the recorded stuff we did never really came together, but as a live act, we played some phenomenal shows, and and yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, two drummers. Powerful, two guitar players, synth, 
Yeah, probably race. impossible to record in a way. You'd need some very skilled. <coughs> and, and, yeah, totally. And 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 also, yeah, lots of strong, uh, uh, quite a few, yeah, lots lots of strong personalities in in in, a, in that unit as well. Um, but the um, the uh, in terms of the production side of things, so like it would have been eighty nine. We recorded an album, which I don't think actually came out until about ninety one. So there was a yeah, there was a lot of things around that band that were unfortunate that didn't quite make it stick together and and and, and work out. It was is the lead guy on that one um, Rex Visible? Is it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, Rex is still yeah. around. He's uh, and he and he's still he's still making bits of music as well. Actually, he's yeah. plays in the band with. Um, uh, one of the guys from Sperm Bank Five, and actually one of the other uh, Peter um, Peter Hennevelt, who was um, one of the guitarists in um, um, NRA as well. Right. So, but they're, they're down they're down the line. So in Levin Wellington, um, oh, kind yeah, of vibe. Yeah. He's always crazy. He had that creepy look. Out, yeah, it? yeah. But uh, um, but the the first the album that we made was uh, I don't know if you remember a studio in Simon Street called Incubator Studios, yes. which uh, yeah. Angus um, um, yeah McNaughton ended up running. Mm. Uh, well, he was part he was part of the yeah the build as well, but. Became the man, oh, right. as as the, the well deserved the, the well deserved the man. Yeah. Uh, I must add, yeah, because he's, he's 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 a genius. Uh, but anyway, so we we the NRA album was recorded there as that studio was still being built. So it was kind of slightly fraud. We had two weeks to cut an album, which yeah. yeah so, uh, but that kind of meant in terms of the production, I kind of had to step up because basically Rex, Eddie, and I were. Working around the clock, we basically work in shifts. There was a twenty-four hour a day, two weeks project. Oh God, the reason it, the reason it sounds like shit is because that was never ever going to work. But yeah, that was <laughs> that was kind of what we did, and yeah, it seemed like a good time. But really, I kind of fast tracked my production skills doing that. Uh, in terms of the more analog thing, I was always quite good at programming, mm-hmm. but in terms of the other side, in terms of um, yeah, miking stuff up and running tape and all that kind of shit. Cool. Um, I kind of, and that kind of led more onto the production side was, um, uh, yeah, straw people were kind of doing stuff. Um, um, I kind of ended up playing on quite a bit of the productions that happened around that. It was um, um, an artist called Metania, uh, OJ Rhythm Slave. Um, I played a lot of bass and some keys on on, on, on some of those recordings yep. uh, with, yeah, basically with straw people. Uh, and then really Mark Tenney and, um, um, now who was it? The guy from the lab and his name is... Oh, gosh. Bill Latimer. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Kane Massey set up um, Deep Grooves. And Deep Grooves, the very first releases were double 10-inch releases, yeah, on yeah, vinyl. Right, and, cool. Um, it was really Mark, I think, who kind of sort of pushed me into working with different people. So I worked with uh, uh, Anthony Iowasa or Anthony Gold, as, as he's known now, yeah. um, DLT yeah, from Upper Hub Posse. And so I, I kind of started working with people on their productions or kind of interpreting, and that kind of led to yeah, my productions being released on, on those recordings as well. And um, yeah, it was the start of me as a more independent producer as opposed to being part of the bigger team, right? Yeah, and is Anthony still working? Yeah, he is, uh, uh, and he sort of popped by the studio. Uh, it's yeah, it's probably about a year ago now. So he he, he was in good spirits. Uh, he's not doing a lot of yeah, not doing a lot of. I mean, he's so he's so so bloody gifted. Man, that man, man I got I should really talk to him. Yeah, I tell you, you should. Yeah, his story is madness. Oh my god! Yeah, when I first met Anthony, he was he was a he was a um, he was a, a junior salesperson for State Insurance. And he was quite, yeah, he was 
he was he was he was a good boy at that point, but I, I remember introducing him to Mark Tierney, and I, and I, I still remember the moment because there was a click there, and I go, "You two are kindred spirit. Yeah, you kind of, you, you you're going to go sideways and up, and 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 um, and explore everything to the maximum, and that's mm. really what 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 Anthony's uh, totally done, um, yeah, and 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 gone hard. Well, he's the only the true sort of music brain I know, like just. But yeah, no, he's, he's mm. amazing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, all, all all three of them. Unfortunately, Paul passed away, but um, but all three of them, bloody amazing, amazing musically. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I sort of had the pleasure of, on, 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 in different ways, yeah, of collaborating with them, at, at different stages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cause I, th- I thought you were going to say I introduced Anthony to champagne, which I thought would be another terrible story. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah quite possibly as well, because it was round about that. Because he really was quite straight, but because he would have been, gosh, I think he would have been. 17 18 or something when that met him so it's he was pretty young and yeah straight from straight from Birkenhead um <laughs> okay we'll get back to that because I'm we're still somewhere in deep grooves compilation with Simona here. We're, still, we're, still, we're still in deep groove deep groove compilation uh, nemesis dub systems and really then the beginning of unitone hi-fi which was Eddie initially Eddie and stinky Jim and myself and that sort of started sort of take a shape in probably 1990 and, and it sort of came out of um the Nemesis Dub Systems set up, hanging out at BFM. Stinky started doing a radio show, and we started cutting some promo for him. Just yeah, have some happy, yeah, have a bit of a laugh and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's very charismatic too. So he yeah, yeah. And, and and so he brought a kind of another layer to it. And even though he's not super yeah, he's not a musical person in the sense that he's he's a, he can play an instrument very well or anything like that. What he did does bring is. His infinite knowledge, mm. or was seemingly infinite knowledge, uh, about yeah the history of music of yeah where the contemporary edges and where 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 you should be yeah so oh, so important yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so that that was an interesting kind of, so and that, and that, so that really moved from so Nemesis kind of moved into Unitone a little bit even though the two entities sort of stayed separate for a bit and then in ninety two one of the releases on Deep Grows was uh, a collaboration with Teramoana Rapley which yes. became Unitone Hi-Fi featuring Teramoana yeah. uh, which was a, a sort of summary kind of sort of um, dancehall style kind of um, so, yeah and, and she's amazing and yeah like I mean it was kind of um, something magic about her yeah. eh? whatever she does oh, totally. she'll yeah, yeah. do the pitchy thing that always works it's always emotionally, yeah. I don't know, something yeah. very magical about that woman. And just emotionally, politically, so utterly mm. correct and, yeah. and, and such a hard work. I, I, I have memories of her from round about that period of going round to, their house was a bit of a drop-in centre because Daryl used to hang out there and George Nuku, the artist who mm-hmm. I think was was partnered with, uh, with Teramoana for, for, for a while. And, yes. Um, so I used to drop in there sometimes, but like the boys would be hanging out, drinking beers, or yeah, doing other things outside, and she'd be beavering away on the sampler. And I always have this memory of going in the house, and Ted Moana would actually be making a beat where everyone else was just having a yeah, having a bit of a party. <laughs> so she's she'd been utterly dedicated, yeah, mm. from 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 a really early point on, and especially working in in the in, the, in that environment in that milieu, um, as a, as a, as a young woman, yeah, full kudos to her and her journey and her sticking to her guns. One of the questions I ask is someone I should talk to next. Can she be your, unless you've got someone lined up, but that would be a really good person to talk to next, really. Yeah, man, I think I think she'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 she could totally be my vote, absolutely. Yeah, yeah 100%. Cool, yeah. done. Yeah, so so anyway, so like, uh, we're sort of getting to, you know, sort of 
by 91, 92. New York? Where are you now? New York, yeah. yeah. So, so um, uh, Eddie and I and Shelley is my, my partner then and still is. Uh, we moved to New York via California. Yeah, we had some, uh, Shelley had some family um, connections there and we hung out there for a bit and then met up with Eddie in New York and a few other friends. Yeah, and, yeah. New York was like Berlin is now in a way. It was one yeah. of those kind of destinations where if you were sort of a little bit creative and wanted to live on the edge and find some cheap rent and that was kind of the uh, the destination spot. Yeah. Super interesting time. Learned a lot about the reality of being alive, the generosity of people, um, the uh, the kindness of strangers, the um, how the bigger picture works. Um, yeah. Mm. Nightclubs, dance, music, yeah, everything. <laughs> it learned me a phenomenal, uh, taught me a, 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 a phenomenal amount. Did yeah, better than the Sydney trip by the sounds. Just a different level. I mean, I was obviously a, a bit older and therefore more open to learning different things. Yeah, right. probably slightly less, slightly, slightly less hedonistic. But um, yeah, I um, guess you're learning about yourself on the first trip, yeah. and then the other one was just learning about the world. In a way, I still think I was learning about yeah myself yeah late 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 twenties development stage yeah, yeah. another step up um, did a few a, f- a few things there so musically it was a it was kind of weirdly another period of reflection but also with a lot of output because in New York um, it's sort of and yet again te- the timing of technology and stuff like that um, aided this but. What ended up happening is that Unitone Haifa became a triangular kind of sort of production release kind of thing with a label in Germany, myself in in, in New York, and with Jim and Angus on occasion uh, based in back in New Zealand. So it became this wow. crazy thing of send, sending dads, sending faxes, ideas, um, and um, and the occasional yeah, all of us being in the same space kind of vibe. Early nineties. Is there any internet? What's the internet in the nineties? Uh, you know what? Internet. Yeah, I was actually talking to my kids about this yesterday. Uh, so nineteen ninety two, internet, pretty pretty early, uh, and the internet kind of. Uh, I did muck around in the in the world of BBS, which was the um, mm. kind of just online. Yeah, this is kind of pre internet, where you you'd have to literally dial someone's number across the world and see if they were there to. Mm. Then connect to them via the internet, and really, yeah, this is my, this is my inner nerd coming out because uh, the the reason I was doing that is so I, you could exchange patches of synths and drum machines because they were little, oh yeah, uh, a, little, a, little, a little bit of system exclusive data you could actually send across, yeah, to someone, yeah, from Europe to wherever you want, yeah, you could share these things, um, oh my but God. the internet it really consisted, and I, I remember this would be nineteen ninety two. We had a uh, a two eight six or a three eight six. Uh, machine, which was the the flagship at the time, yeah, cost thousands of dollars, and then we would go and log onto the NASA website because there weren't many websites, and the NASA yeah. one was one that you could sort of access, and then start downloading a picture. Yeah, go out and have dinner, and the picture would be halfway done, and you wake up the next morning, and there would be the photograph. Wow! So that's how yeah how how the internet kind of really worked. So now, so really, our, our connection was still very much uh, communication, yeah, handwritten faxes, um, and then couriering, posting dates. Here's, the, the, here's, my, here's my ideas. You add something to it, kind of vibe, send it back to me, kind of vibe. That's kind of how we made 
um, three three records and an EP that came out in that period. Well, and was there no sort of like Elisa's ADAD or anything like that multi-tracking? Uh, there was a, no, because actually, well, there was ADAD multi-tracking, but ADAD was kind of slightly unaffordable. Yeah. The one totally. thing, where, where, and, and this is really because, yeah, where I had sort of invested my kind of, my resources was really, I um, at that point I had the E64, which you could kind of flash out to be fully stereo and um, yeah, full full bandwidth kind of thing. And then- Hold it, you've lost me on E64. What's that? I know. Oh, this is, uh, the e, uh, so the, uh, so the, EMU, uh, the uh, EMU sampler. Oh, okay. I oh, see, yeah, yep. And, uh, and I kind of sort of spec that out in terms of RAM, so I could get almost three minutes of stereo sample time, which was phenomenal, really. Mm. So that kind of became, became our recorder. So like a recorder. So if I was playing a bass line, I would literally play it straight into the sampler. Or if I got someone to do, do a, a vocal grab, same thing. So everything, the sampler became the everything that became wow. the, yeah, what effectively is a DAW these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally, yeah. Um, so it was all built, so everything I did was built around that. And then, yeah, add a drum machine and a couple of synths, and that was kind of the setup um, for most of it. Uh, I did work in a, in a little studio, and it was kind of the studio was more of a, and so in New York, uh, was set up as a post-production documentary making. So it was kind of little yeah. based around a, 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 a Mac 2 CI. Yeah. Um, um, Gosh. And that's where I did actually, which which probably would have been around about ninety four, mm-hmm. uh, where I came across the first kind of real yeah, sound com- designer on on yeah a t- uh, actually yep yeah, so actually um, yeah sound design and sound tools um, yeah. and obviously that then became a four track sound tools and then yeah, yeah and pro tools beyond that, but there was so so we're talking ninety four ninety five really for. When, when I got access to some of that and a taste of that. So that was, yeah, kind of, and, and Unitime was already well in swing at that point, even though most of our recordings didn't come out until 95, 96. Most of the production and the recordings were actually done in the, in the couple of years prior to that. Right, right. And so when did you wander back from New York? Was that? So, so uh, no, uh, 96, um, um, I met. Jim in Europe, and we did um, a, a pretty extensive European tour so through France, Germany, Holland, Belgium. Cool. Uh, which was which was good fun. Um, so uh, a solo tour, and then a tour with um, um, some other acts. So mm-hmm. we kind of went around twice uh, in uh, the period of about I can't remember how long it was, maybe three or four months, wow. um, and then came back, and then came back after that. So. Um, <clears throat> How's your partner surviving? Is, it, is she still in New York? What's going on? No, no, she, no, she, no she, she's, she, she, she's here and actually on that tour, she would, um, she did the visual, um, oh, okay. um, the, the visual component. So we would literally travel with a bunch of um, slide projectors, Super 8 projector and um, cool. And and some other things. So the, the, the yeah, because yeah, really, we weren't visually very appealing or doing anything virtuoso wise that was mesmerizing on stage. So the visual, mm. the visual aspects was it was actually really uh, really important for cool. how we delivered our, um, our our live our live performance. As you should, yeah. As you should, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got to hide. You got to keep hiding. No, you need to put on a show. Yeah, I reckon. Mm-hmm. And then, so, yeah, so back at, back in New Zealand, sort of really, really late 96, uh, pretty much went straight to the gathering Oh, from memory. I don't think I spent any time in Auckland. Uh, so it was kind of almost time to perfection 
uh, to play the first gathering. Oh. Um, and then, yeah, so yeah, and then. With, th- with three months of super tight rehearsal behind you? Yeah, actually, that, that show was pretty good. It was a, that was a good time. Um, I do remember, I think I was, must have been really exhausted. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you've been on the road for a while. Mm. It actually gets really, really fatiguing. Um, do remember sort of um, having to find a little hollow in in the bush and have to have a little sleep somewhere at the gathering yeah, for, for a few hours just to kind of gas up a little bit. Because it was yeah. one of those, How so, many times yeah. have you um, had a little nap while your eyes twitched to a snare sound check? Yeah, yeah quite a few times. Tink, tink, tink. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Especially those snares. <laughs> They're really distracting. <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, yeah, sort of the year after that, I was kind of sort of spent re-establishing myself in, in Auckland and... Um, Started doing some work with Paul on Straw People. At that point, Straw People had become Paul's solo project as well because him and Mark had kind of broken up as a, as a duo. So I worked with him on that and worked with Chris Vandergeer, who's sort of now my, my business partner, on that album as well. Yeah, times were a bit tough for me the, 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 that year coming back from New York. I wasn't quite ready to come back to New, to New Zealand on a, on a on a mental or emotional level. Oh. So it took, me, it took me a while to kind of get back into the swing and... Yeah, sort of probably at an age too where um, I either needed to. I was still kind of doing other things for for money as well, so I was still mm. kind of cooking in restaurants and kind of the the the, the grind of basically running two full two full time kind of jobs, which is kind of what I was doing for quite a bit of my life, mm. became a bit much. And so I was kind of at that kind of crossbone of what, what am I what am I doing with my life? Unitone kind of finished a little bit at that point, even though I got reinvigorated at it subsequent mm. times over the years but for, for at that point it was kind of sort of a yeah it was it was at a lull and there were a lot of other things going on in that in that period then in the next gathering i kind of met um, the young guys from cog uh, chris and that's where we would have met at cog yeah totally mm. uh, yeah absolutely yeah um so that was kind of we're talking gosh 90 that would have been 97 98 mm. I started, and then I started hanging out a bit up there and, and, and helped them with the first algorithm and then kind of beyond that with um, with helping with um, with the whole reliable. Oh, yeah. What do you mean helping? What does helping mean? Well, well helping. I kind of, yeah, A&Ring, recording. Yeah. Yeah, throwing in the odd egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and just and, and really because I mean, and what I really like as well, and, and you're probably really similar too, is that I really love collaborating. For me, music is all about the process of making. Yeah, mm. what happens? What happens after that is kind of almost secondary to Absolutely. the making, yeah. right? Mm. Um, so I really enjoyed, yeah, uh, reconnecting with people like like Roger Perry and and working with him in a studio capacity where. And other people like Reed and Radley, and you name it. Yeah, yeah Rock Pig. Um, uh, yeah, Rock Pig. Yeah, so, uh, and, and different singers. And I, I really love that. So, that was a really, uh, it was a super nice time. Uh, financially, I was still doing, yeah, financially, that wasn't really working because obviously that was very much a labor of love. Mm. I hooked up with um, Andrew Dubber. I don't know if you ever come across Andrew Dubber, but Andrew Dubber used to run jazz labels and he released early Mark the Clive Low jazz records. And he'd be, I'd known him. I'd sort of I'd come across him through BFM, really, in mm-hmm. the, in, the, in 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 the decade before. And he contacted me and said, and he said, "Hey, I'm working on this radio play, and it's yeah, really ambitious. It's 52 episodes or whatever it was, like huge, yeah, huge amounts. And um, 
I want you to work on the music, but I want you to collaborate with another friend of mine that you haven't met. And th that person was Victoria Kelly. Aha. And Victoria is, a, is an amazing classical composer. She comes from the classical background, mm -hmm. and um, and this was a yeah, um, um, a beautiful yeah, Night. a beautiful meeting. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I, I don't use the term light, lightly, but she's one of the one of the few genius people that I've yeah that I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with, and she's one she's one wow. of them. And 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 there aren't many of them. So she she's one of those utterly gifted kind. Beautiful people, and 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 insanely creative. So we we kind of worked together for a bunch of years, and ended up working on TV shows and film scores and and stuff like that. Is this where we pull back into our true bliss story? Yeah, totally. Because around about the same time, and 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 this kind of relates a little bit to me stopping doing other work and only doing music because really that the true bliss was or that project was really the kind of the um so this predates a little bit of the stuff i was doing with victoria so we can't we're probably moving back six months or a little bit longer um um so um, um simon greg called me and said hey um work on this uh, project with anthony and i've known anthony for a long time he said uh, he needs a producer to help him uh, pull this together it's a crazy show idea you want to do it and he said there's some money and i said oh fuck and the money was the money was the money was pretty good it wasn't crazy money but it was enough for me to go hey i could pay my rent for the next two three months yeah but i need the time i'm gonna no longer do the two nights a week i was doing in the restaurant yeah i'm gonna actually cut that out so i can just be 24 7 music so that was kind of that allowed me to make that step um, and the true bliss, the true bliss journey was, yeah, gosh, it's been pretty well documented. It was a pretty crazy ride. Uh, I mean, in essence, what it sort of came down to is that, yeah, Anthony and I, and Luke Tomes, who ended up engineering, mixing the album, um, we basically had about three weeks to create and produce and mix an album uh, with with artists who weren't picked yet if that, if that makes sense so it was it was an insane ride um i'm really happy to have been sort of uh, involved i'm also i was also really happy that i was slightly behind the scenes mm. um um but I, I really worked my ass off on that because it was pretty intense even in the lead up to it um, oh, it's insanity but, yeah. yeah and pop songs so we want big strong pop songs Good songs. Uh, totally, and 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 this is really the, yeah what we're talking about before is that's the gift of anthony gold I mean, oh he can, yeah he, he he can make a song out of out of the most banal little bits of lyric content as yeah as he did on that. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's it was it was a beautiful thing, and and the process yeah it was largely around where um, Anthony would go away and um, then come come say hey I've got a song idea and put out some chords and then he goes oh yeah you, you take it to the next level so i would basically build the music around that and they would come back and he'd have a melody or some lyrics on that and be line. kind of yeah yeah, cool. yeah and top line it from there so um yeah it was um he's so flash yeah, was, mm. yeah pretty, pretty pretty mad but in terms of in terms of the the fortunate event that was really i mean that was a fortunate event i really and i really enjoyed working uh with anthony and luke on it and the wider team as well it was it was a it was a crazy ride it was a fun time but the fortunate event for me on a career level was really that when they first broadcast um, the the first TV show, they uh, they had used M's pop music, which was um, quite a big hit. Um, 
and they hadn't cleared they hadn't cleared it, so they're just using it without asking without asking anyone. <laughs> which yeah, you think it's it's quite sort of irresponsible for something that's yeah prime time TV. I ask for songs on my podcast, no one listens to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally right. Yeah, totally. Um, so um, so apparently they'd had a call from the record label. So hey, if you want to use that next week, that's awesome. But it's got to cost you a hundred grand. Um, so and obviously they didn't have any money. And they came to me in a panic and said, "Hey, oh, can you do something? We need it. We need it by tomorrow morning." So basically, I had an afternoon and a night. Fuck. And I've kind of wrote wrote that theme song. And like you said before, um, that show ended up travelling, um, and got broadcast in yeah around Europe, UK, uh, and until um, uh, Simon Cowell took it. Uh, yeah, kind of d- d- did the knockoff, mm. but for a little while, and yeah, for a, a, probably about a year. The music that I had written um, was used um, as a theme song in Europe as well. So um, the APRA royalties for a little bit. Four years later were amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so yet again, yeah. So the fortunate event was that, um, yeah, that I did actually make some, wow. some some royalties out of that for 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 a little bit. I didn't know about the overnight turnaround on that one. Jeez. Yeah, I was so super tired. Uh, yeah, because really they got the call because those TV shows. I mean, the next one. Has to be delivered in that in that week, and usually yeah, with a few days to spare. So it's um, so by the time they figured out they they've broken, they've broken the law, and they didn't have any money to spend. They they'd lost a couple of days there. And well, who was that? <clears throat> no, it was oh gosh, it was it was two guys that kind of sort of came up with the concept, and then oh what's his but name? I was wondering who broadcast I, it without any check to a massive song. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, I, 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 outstandingly stupid. I think I, th- I th- it would have been two TV two or three. TV I'm not too sure which one it was actually. To tell you the truth, I, 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 I like it music. I'm sure TV at that point and probably still now. There's 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 plenty of um, oh yeah, no, that's fine, man. Yeah, no, no, you can use that. That's all good. Yeah, no, that's fine. Mm. Yeah, you know, that kind of attitude. When did you hook back up with Chris? Did I see you in the studio with Stella at all? Am I getting confused? It was a dark room. T- totally. And I didn't really do any work on Stella, but I... Hang around the back of the room. I remember you at the back of the room. You were the only one who liked my remix, and that's why I remember it, because they hated it. No, it's good. It's great. It's, it's, it's so good. I was going for a secondary market. I wasn't doing the song again. That was my job. I have this conversation all the time, and I totally agree with you because ultimately it is about the secondary market. It's not about whether the artist even likes that remix. It's about can, can their music be introduced to a different to, to a different audience. That's yeah, it's really all about that. Yeah, and that's a it's a funny world, isn't it? Yeah, because people kind of go, "Well, no, I don't want you. Yeah, I don't need a remix." I thought you were going to give me a bigger kick drum. That was all. Because I've got I've also got a comment here from Minwee. But no, I- no, Minwee, uh, Roger and I did a remix of uh, was it Milk? I think which actually really uh, was one of those ones I was really happy with. Yeah, some tracks you're just really happy with. Mm. And um, I can dig it out for you if you want. I've got I've got a copy of it somewhere. Okay, because I'm sort of tying this all up really. So we're trying to hook up with Chris because there was a connection. You were sort of sitting in the back, so you knew Chris back then in the Stella days. And I kind of first met Chris probably in the late '80s when he was in Second Child. So oh. and round about the time of NRA, we moved in similar circles then. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because we haven't really gone that deep on the whole reactive music subway. That whole kind of period, which is really that late 90s, early 2000s. By about 2004, I like to say the drugs had changed, yeah, mm-hmm. in terms of club music, yeah, and the, the vibe had moved into a different realm, and you probably, yeah, mm-hmm. the scene had changed a bit for, for me anyway. Um, and um, and for another fortunate event, I got a call from uh, someone called Malcolm Black, 
who is legendary in my opinion yes. in the music industry. But yes. um, uh, and he was um, at um, and I'd met him through. Well, I'd met him sort of. I've been in the same room on quite a few occasions, but he was the A and R on True Bliss. So he worked for Sony Music, oh, okay. and he's yeah. uh, a lawyer and um, yes. yeah, and and a musician. So he kind of he's one of those kind of wonderful people who both super smart, understands yeah. the creative process, and yeah, and 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 really humane. Yeah, just one of those really beautiful beautiful humans. Unfortunately, he passed away um, a, a year ago. Yeah. So, oh. uh, but anyway, he he called me and said, "Hey, I've got this weird proposition for you. I'd like um, uh, I want to yeah I want to have a meet with you and with Chris and Andrew McLaren, who is the drummer and Stella. Malcolm had been doing some legal work and some cleaning up of catalog for Les Mills Music. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. He was basically just making sure their licensing processes were all kind of yeah kosher and they were doing things better. But part of what they were doing is for some of those fitness routines, they were speeding up tracks and yeah, cutting them up and everything, which under the license agreements they weren't really allowed to do. So he was kind of tidying up some areas, some grey areas around that. And he said, actually, it would be really good if we can create some music to fill those holes because really there's not a lot of 4.4 at 145 BPM that we can kind of use. And do you guys want to create some shit? And yeah, or do you want to do some covers? And so that was kind of that was kind of the proposition that he had. And Chris and I ended up carrying on with that. And that was really the beginning of Big Pop in a way, even though, even though Chris and I had worked together before um, on other productions so this is just so the so so your bread and butter right is still with them is still with Les Mills yeah totally yeah yeah I and mean, they're still they're still um, yeah they're all over the place aren't they so yeah I mean obviously yeah in current COVID situation it's hard to kind of uh, yeah True. a lot of gyms are kind of doing it tough but yeah they're a big global player mm. um, and in a weird way they're probably yeah you could almost argue they're one of the yeah vicariously sort of through us they're probably one of the biggest. Music producers in this part of the world. Right. Uh, it's like McDonald's being a toy manufacturer. In a way, yeah, yeah, totally. It's yeah. There. Yeah. yeah, you're totally right. You like that. The more they play it, the more I get royalties. Can I get a song in there? It's like a radio station we could start utilizing. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, in, in a way, because we probably work on about 30% of the music that, that they use. The other 70% are they license in from labels and. Oh, cool. um, so in terms of the royalty side of things, if um, yeah, if a song gets played in the gym, then that does generate a royalty for songwriters. So if you're the composer on it, hey, you, you make some, yeah, you obviously make well, some money. Well, it's probably better than Spotify. That's what I was thinking. It's better than it's. I'd say I'd say significantly better than Spotify. Maybe yeah. I think. <laughs> that, that's not hard though, eh? That's not hard. Yeah. No, not hard yeah. at all. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm glad hard. that's all working, and I I want to. I, I like the. The, the gear list sounds exciting. I must come and look through. I've tried several times, but you guys are always busy. Yeah, no, you, you, you should totally come. And actually, the gear list is, uh, is uh, I mean, that's reasonably out of date. And I think what you'll find more stimulating is the um, the more creative gear list in terms of synths and drum machines. They still, yeah, I still have a lot of stuff from yeah from back in the day. So, 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 so yeah, Big Pop as a studio is obviously yeah as a production space. It's sort of expanded really the last sort of six seven years. We've done we've been doing a lot of work uh, in the A and R kind of. Field as well, we're doing a lot of work with um, an artist called Chai, artist called Sally Cecily. So we're kind of doing a lot of artist development. Um, we've had a little publishing company, so everything's kind of connected into Ooh, this cool. um, to this this sort of holistic yeah. um, friends and family. Let's help make some cool shit kind of vibe, and then you can help them out. You're on the board of picking the um, this this sort of 
who gets the funding. Is that right? Are you still on that? Uh, so uh, I'm occasionally, I'm occasionally, this on the NZ on Air one. So that's a revolving kind of panel. So occasionally oh, yeah. I get asked, I've done, done that a few times, um, where yeah, you're basically sitting on a panel and going, mm-hmm. where there might be 150 applicants and there's 20, there's 20 grants to give. You kind of fight for the ones you think. Um, are more deserving than the other, which is a difficult job. But yeah, so I've, I've done I've, I've done it two or three times. Over. Yeah. And the Tate Awards, which I think are pretty cool, which don't get enough mention. Are you? Are I'm, you I'm st- not on the Tate panel oh, okay, uh, so. specifically oh, for that. Well, yeah. Oh, we can erase that. Oh, actually, no, that's not entirely true. I've, I have been on the overarching shortlist panel once. Yeah. Okay. Where um, um, where basically you create this shortlist from the releases. So you go from the 150 releases this year. Let's cull that down to 20 that. People can vote on kind of vibe. So I've done that one time. Who won yeah. the, the Tate Award was uh, Elders Harding. Elders, she's amazing. Yeah, Elders Harding. Um, because someone I asked for some people to talk to, and <laughs> someone put Elders Harding, in and I all, I almost got scared just thinking about it. I'm too scared. Hey, I actually went down the rabbit hole once and 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 watched uh, watched a couple of interviews she does. She's 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 mesmerising and fascinating. I do I do really like it. Oh, yeah, I should go and check it, because at the moment I'm scared, because I only know the performances, so I'm scared. But um, I saw her on um, that late night with Jules Holland. I was mm. flying somewhere, and it was on the plane, and it just fucking put me to the back of the room. <laughs> it's all I could talk about. I'd been overseas, and everyone's going, what happened in Japan? I said, oh, man, you've got to see this Aldous Harding thing on. <laughs> Literally what I said when I landed. <laughs> I, 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 and you're probably similar as well. I mean, I really respect artists that take risks. I'll never do it because 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 without taking risks, there's a lot of safe music out there, and there's a lot of yeah, I don't yeah, sort of paint by numbers kind of vibe. I, mm-hmm. What I love about Aldis is she's it could be it could go so ter- terribly wrong for her, mm. but it got, it, it's she's just on perfectly it, yeah. on the right side of cool, yeah, and it's amazing, and and it blows it really blows me away. So cool. yeah, I love I love people that take risks. Yeah, no, totally. So here's my big final question. I don't know if I've warned you about this, but I'm trying to find out from the people the the piece of music they've been involved with as a writer or a producer or anything or the whole lot that you're most proud of. What would you like me to end this if I can get the rights? <laughs> oh, you can get the rights because yeah, <laughs> just 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 use it. Get sued, man. Get sued. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, cease and desist. You be famous. Be famous. They only sue you if you got money. True, no money. So, what's the song? What's your song? Oh boy, that's a, that's a really big question. That's a really really big question. Because the one I chose had really terrible lyrics. It was just, and it was a it's a song called Rise Above. I did it in in the, like the two thousand, but it's a real fast dance song. But there's just something about the fact that I got this emotion about telling other people that they can do anything. Was <laughs> why it's my favourite song musically and everything. It's not it's nothing genius about it, but it just made me. I was proud of it. I was proud that I'd said something in my own funny, hidden hidden way. I know, right? Hidden in poetry. I, 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 I got really caught up in what I've done recently versus what I've done in the past. Because there's, there's probably there's, there's probably unitone track that that uh, like Guide and Star, for example, could be is a is a is a really beautiful track. Um, so yeah, maybe that one, but maybe okay. something new. I, I'm I will, I'm always in love with the new. Yeah, the the most recent. I'm going to put Guiding Star there then. Um, and again, it wouldn't be a talk about New Zealand music without bringing up Simon Gregg once, it turns out. Oh, no, we didn't either. What no, happened? we didn't. You mentioned it once, <laughs> which the drinking game is still in action. Everyone gets one drink tonight. Right, fair enough too. So. Oh, yeah, we talked about him in terms of True Bliss and, and, and Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. Right, of course. He was the man putting it all together. But, yeah, look, it's, 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 it's funny mentioning you. So talking about Simon as well, because there is something really 
I've been thinking, yeah, getting to the other end of life a little bit, and it sounds sort of horribly fatalistic, but I look at the people that kind of have had a lasting impression on me, and I kind of think about Trevor Ricci. I do think about Simon. Mm -hmm. I think about Murray Kamek. The people that have kind of run labels and have been really generous towards the arts, yeah, and that's, I use that term really loosely, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Malcolm Black falls into the category as well. And mm -hmm. I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for people who are that supportive, because it's a thankless job, uh, having been on the other side of running a label and, and, and yeah, that, that's a beautiful thing. Hey, well, I think we've got a lot of good stuff here. That's so good, man. I was going to talk a bit more about Holland and what you did there, but wait, hey, moved on. Yeah, there's, there's not much there. It's cold and wet. <laughs> Flat. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool, mate. Check you later. Thanks. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Have a lovely day. Bye.